The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So again, good morning, everyone. I've just put two links in the chat that you can refer to. Uh, the first is just the regular um, uh, link to supporting Common Ground and the teacher for those who'd like to support uh, me in the center. Uh, and then the other link is for Ajahn Sumedho's little booklet he wrote quite a while back. He's a Western monk, very well-known teacher in the Theravada or early Buddhism. And that's, the book is Now is the Knowing. But he has a chapter, I think it's chapter two, not too long. Uh, that's all about Anapanasati, mindfulness of breathing in and out, according to the Buddhist instructions. And I'll refer to it today in the talk. And I think the uh, just to review some of the important points from the guided meditation, just to keep in mind. First, you know, I know, like myself, a lot of us regularly practice in a more open awareness format, which is great. It's a very powerful, beautiful, effective way to meditate. But however we like to meditate, it's good to develop, just to have a sense of developing all the necessary skills we'll need. And so in the beginning of our looking at the Buddhist teachings on mindfulness of breathing, the first two instructions in particular are really emphasizing this exclusive attention to a meditation object. We're really highlighting and centering the physical experience of breathing in and out because it's a particular spiritual muscle we want to learn how to develop. And so even if it's not your usual way of practicing, you don't use exclusive meditation objects, that's okay. I really recommend you explore it for these weeks as we're doing it together on Sunday morning and see how it changes all the other ways you work with your mind and heart through the day or wherever. And then the other thing that <clears throat> is so important, and this is really highlighted by one of my teachers, Venerable Analio, this German Buddhist monk and just a wonderful teacher now living at the Barry Center for Buddhist Studies, a wonderful uh, center on the same campus of IMS, Inset Meditation Society, in Barry, Massachusetts. And Ajahn, uh, I'm sorry, and um, uh, Bhikkhu Analio, he really emphasizes conjoining joy with the breath right from the beginning of our mindfulness of breathing practice. In a way, we're on the lookout that this practice should feel good from the beginning on. Not like, oh, it's all hell, it's total hell, and then later it feels good. Now, it is difficult. <laughs> Spiritual life generally Life generally, there's a lot of suffering, a lot of difficulty. It's true with mindfulness of breathing, you know, and meditation practice, because part of the reason there's a lot of dis discomfort and difficulty in meditation is we're really amplifying sensitivity when we meditate. So, whatever, you know, uh, negative habits of mind, whatever tension remains in the body, it's going to be experienced in this amplified way. 
So I don't, I'm not saying there isn't difficulty in meditation or in even mindfulness of breathing practice. There's a lot of difficulty. But we want to generally sense when we're in the groove with the practice following the Buddha's instructions, we want to notice it's kind of the feedback mechanism that helps us find our way. It feels good. And we call this initial joy or pleasure in the practice, the pleasure of seclusion. And I'm not going to talk about it too much tonight or this morning rather, because I spoke about it the last two weeks and you can go back and listen to those talks. If you'd like all the Sunday morning programs are up on our YouTube channel. So you can always revisit some of the earlier talks on mindfulness of breathing. But you know, when we're, uh, putting mindfulness to the fore, establishing mindfulness to the fore, and we're using the physicality of breathing in and out to help keep in mind the present moment, to remember the present moment. How, how do I know I'm in the present? Because I'm recognizing breathing in. And breathing in only is known in the present moment. Same with breathing out, of course. So we're using this exclusive object. And to do that, we're letting go of everything else. And so the mind experience, experiences the simplicity of not being pushed around by all the other objects of experience and our liking and not liking and all whatever else haunts the mind, worries and hopes and miscellaneous thoughts and our reactions to all of that. That's what normally fills the space of the mind. But now we're undertaking a training where only one thing fills the space of the mind. The physicality of breathing in is being known. The physicality of breathing out is being known. Whether you feel that at the tip of your nostrils or you feel it as some movement in your abdominal wall or more generally in the space, the expansion and contraction of the rib cage, however you're able to physically connect and sustain awareness with that natural process of breathing in and out to whatever degree we can bring a fullness, a wholeness of attention to that process, then that means the mind has to let go of whatever else it would be paying attention to. And this feels good. And we want to notice the pleasure, the joy of that simplicity because a lot of the whole path that the Buddha, and this is, you know, right first steps on the path, but really the flavor of the whole path isn't so much about what's attained, but realizing the pleasure of letting go. So even the letting go of the mind's attention to the diversity of experience and my worries and my thoughts and not having to identify with it because I have this central exclusive object of awareness now, the physicality of breathing in and out. And I'm really rallying with interest, with a wholesome interest, rallying my attention to stay with it, to keep it in mind. Like I mentioned, I think last week, the word sati that gets translated as mindfulness, it's really about remembering. We're remembering the present moment. And when we're using a meditation object, we're remembering what it is we want to be aware of, the breath, as a way, as a support to be in the present, in the present moment. Oh yeah, this is being known, this is being felt.
And the other point I made briefly in the guided sit that I just want to say a little bit more about, you know, we're learning these 16 steps. This morning we went through the first four um, and we're learning them in a linear systematic way, but that's not how we practice. So if it's really pushing some of your buttons by, oh God, life is not this systematic. It's not linear. How could this be helpful? Well, when you think about anything you've really mastered in your life, generally the learning process is somewhat um, structured and that's what we're doing. We're using a structured way, learning cause and effect in the mind so that for the rest of our lives, when we're meditating and living, not formally meditating, that we really understand this map so well that we're not dependent on using it always in a linear way. We might sit down and meditate and we might just start with steps 13, you know, just noticing that space of the mind or whatever, forget what 13 is, but, you know, just that awareness of that open, empty space of the mind, the space of knowing. We might go there for a while and then we might get swept away in some distraction for five minutes. And when we come to, the mind is really unsettled and we might need to come back to step number one. And But we may not need to be there very long. And we might all of a sudden start feeling some joy. And we go right to step number five. So there's, there's a difference between how we use the map once we've developed some competency and mastery and how we learn the map. And right now, because some of you are learning the map, and for those of you who already know the map, like I know the map, yeah, I find it really useful to go through it in a very systematic way and to spend time developing the muscle of each step. So the first step is just remembering what mindfulness is and using the breathing process to remember what it is. Oh yeah, keeping the present moment in mind. And I'm using this particular object, the breathing process, to keep remembering that this is the present moment. This is what's arising in the present moment. This is what's being known. What does it mean to be present? That's what we're doing. We're kind of getting clear. And then we're with that clarity and some continuity, we're discerning the cause and effect relationship. So when we do have some continuity of present moment awareness, the body and the mind settle down. And by observing the breath, we see that settling process because the breath goes from gross to subtle. The third step, what we're keeping in mind, is that transition from an exclusive object of awareness to how natural a relaxation it is to have an inclusive awareness of the whole body. So for each of the 16 steps, there's a little training, a little muscle that's being developed, keeping something specific in mind keeping the experience of mindfulness in mind. That's the first. Keeping this discernment from gross breathing to relatively subtle breathing and how that lines up with the settling due to the continuity of present moment awareness. Oh, this is the experience of being settled. We get really clear what that is. The breath is subtle, refined, shorter, it's, there's some pleasure there in that second step. And then we notice that I don't have to be exclusively aware of the breath. I can relax that exclusive 
focus on the breathing process and begin this more inclusive awareness of the whole body. Ah, And that inclusive awareness of the whole body allows for some calming of the bodily activities. The body settles more profoundly and we start to notice it and notice that when we're noticing the calming effect in the body, that noticing of the calming effect allows the calming effect to spread and deepen and become more pervasive so that there's a suffusion. Every little corner of the bodily experience over time seems to be touched by that calm and tranquility. And the more the body is suffused with a sense of calm, then a more subtle mental experience we call joy arises. And that sets us up for the beginning of the second set of four instructions. So that would be number five. One trains oneself, breathing in, experiencing joy. Breathing out, experiencing, noticing joy. That lightness, that buoyancy, that sense of the experience of the body and mind being more unrestricted, not fixed, but more open and flowing and unfixed. And that, you know, we generally call joy or PT, rapture. And at first, it's just sort of like feeling the body and mind more energetically in an unrestricted way, not heavy, but light, energized. Some people translate rapture or the uh, word Piti as joyful interest. I think that's actually a useful uh, translation, um, lightness, joy. Okay, so that's five. And the second set of four, steps five, six, seven, and eight, it's really about observing the mind. So even though we call the whole 16 steps the Buddhist teachings on mindfulness of breathing, it's really just the first two where the breath is in the forefront It's really the dominant experience that we're keeping in mind. And then from step three onward, the breath is there, but it's in the periphery. And it's the way, it's like a placeholder, being aware of the in and out breath, the mind knows it's still here and now in the present. But we're not specifically focusing on the sensations of breathing out. It's just there in the periphery, the breathing in and the breathing out. But there are many other objects like the inclusive awareness of the whole body, the calming of bodily activities. Number five, the joy. Number six, the more um, released happiness of sukha, of ease, the ease of heart. So for more brighter quality of joy in the fifth, one trains oneself while breathing in to experience that relaxation of the heart the ease of happiness as you breathe in and out. And from there, the um, seventh instruction, just for those who are feeling like you want to move on, but watch that, right? Because it's really nice why we're taking a few months to go through the 16 to, even if you're capable of going on, it might be really good just to develop that particular muscle for each of the steps. So the mind really knows clearly what that's about what why you know what it's about in terms of cause and effect how it changes things to focus on each of these steps 
But anyway, when you get to um, seven, you know, it's really noticing <clears throat> mental activity. So now you've experienced a lot of joy, gotten familiar with it. You've experienced this ease of heart, gotten really familiar with it. Now the Buddha says, now that you have the immunity of having touched into joy and ease, now you can actually look at mental activity because you're not in, you're not going to be seduced by it because you're already the mind, the heart's in a good place, having been drenched in joy and drenched in ease. Now I can, in a sense, with that good inner feeling, I can settle back and just notice there's a lot of mental activity as I breathe in. So that's what the Buddha says. One trains oneself while breathing in. Notice the mental activity. Notice the feeling tones of the different experiences, the different perceptions, the different sense contact that come and go. As you breathe out, train yourself to notice all that mental activity. And so we're learning to look at thinking and any mental activity as stuff happening, but in a dispassionate way. That's really that seventh step. And lo and behold, going to the eighth step is, that's exactly what allows the thinking mind to quiet down. Not by trying to stop thinking, not by being judgmental of the thoughts that are coming and going, but by just being aware of thoughts and any mental activity with dispassion. And when we're like resting in the joy and the ease that has we've paid attention to previously, then we observe the thinking mind and all the mental activity as just stuff happening, more or less, and naturally things quiet down because the thinking process isn't being fed by the, through the mind's identification, the mind's attachment to thought. It's really looking as thought as just sort of background noise, stuff that's happening, like the chirping of birds when we're sitting outside. Oh, that's what the mind does. It thinks, you know, it perceives, it likes, it dislikes. That's just the nature of the thinking mind to do all that activity. And it, with that attitude of dispassion, the thinking process isn't being fed. So it naturally not being fed quiets down. And then that's that eighth step, training yourself to notice the quieting of the mind the thinking mind, the mental activity, breathing out, notice the quieting. Okay. So that's a little, that's where we'll be going in the next few weeks. We'll be looking at that second set of four instructions. But for today, especially, you know, uh, and even throughout your day. So not when you're formally meditating, it might be really good to, um, broaden this particular training where you're noticing that skill of being intimate, interested in what's ordinary because it has an effect on the mind. Like when you wash dishes, just as an example, but it could be anything when you turn a light on or off, when you put your socks and shoes on, these things that we tend to do, you know, regularly through the day, And you just, you know, we classify them as ordinary and mostly neutral experiences. They're neither strongly pleasant nor unpleasant, right? 
So because of that, they're neither strongly pleasant or unpleasant, we tend not to be interested in them. So same like what we do in the formal meditative training, where we're training the mind to be interested in something ordinary, like the breathing in. This particular in-breath is not that special. No one's going to write an article in this chapter that I just put in the chat um, from Ajahn Sumedho. He says this, you know, no, but you're never going to read an article in the New York Times about, you know, at 6 a.m. on Monday morning, you know, Steve realized the sensations of breathing in. It's not a big deal. It's just something happening. So to bring that, like train the mind to bring that fullness of interest, a relaxed, but really full, unwavering interest to something that's neutral and ordinary. That's a minor miracle because it's not the habit of the mind. That's why we call this a training. The mind generally, our mind, it's not in the habit of bringing that full, relaxed, relaxed because the relaxation allows the awareness to be full and clear. If I was trying hard, that distorts the clarity. So relaxation is really in support of the fullness and the clarity of the awareness. So it's really going against the grain, going against the habit energy of, um, of the mind's habits when we take up the breath, the breathing process. Now, there are a few of you, you know, where the breath is going to be quite charged. Maybe you had asthma for a long time in your life. That's fine. You can go right to the whole body awareness. But for most of us, the breath is neutral. And the specificity of the breathing in, like being a little bit more specific, actually supports the training. But it's really okay to go to the whole body. Or if you want something more specific, but you had asthma, or for whatever reason, your breath is emotionally charged because of your past history, then you could use some touch points. You could just have like three touch points that you rotate through. Like if your hands are touching on your lap, you could just feel one thumb on top of the other so that you bring your attention right there. You notice the touching. And then you maybe go and you feel your right sits bone pressing up against the cushion or chair. And then you might notice one other place in your body and then go back to the thumbs touching. So you can find other ways where you can basically follow the same instructions. There's a little bit advan uh, an advantage with the breath. Like I mentioned, it's a useful feedback mechanism with step two to notice, to more clearly notice the settling process from a rougher, grosser, longer breath to a more refined, subtle, shorter breath. But that will happen in the background even if you're not using the breath in the foreground. So that's just for the few of you, for whatever reasons, the breath isn't a suitable meditation object for the first two steps. Yeah, so just this invitation to um, train yourself to be interested in what's ordinary. And let me read um, a little bit from Ajahn Sumedho's wonderful little booklet titled, Now is the Knowing. And like I mentioned, chapter two is Anapanasati. Anapana just means breathing in, breathing out. Sati 
means mindfulness, mindfulness of breathing in and breathing out. That's what anapanasati means. Um, So he writes, we don't try to make the breath long or short or control it in any way, but to simply stay with the normal inhalation and exhalation. The breath is not something that we create or imagine. It is a natural process of our bodies that continues as long as life lasts. Whether we concentrate it or on it or not, so it is an object that is always present. We can turn to it at any time. We don't have to have any qualifications to watch our breath. We do not need to be particularly intelligent. All we have to do is be content with and aware of one inhalation and exhalation. Wisdom does not come from studying great theories or philosophies, but from observing the ordinary. So, so much of what step one and two are about is strengthening that mental muscle we could call interest, and in particular, interest in what's ordinary. And we're not good at that, generally speaking. So it will take some time, some persistence, some starting over for to develop that uh, competency so the mind actually knows how to be interested and sustain that interest in something that's ordinary. And uh, he writes a little later in this chapter, the rhythm of our normal breathing is not interesting or compelling. It is tranquilizing. And most be- beings aren't used to tranquility. Most people like the idea of peace, but find the actual experience of it disappointing <laughs> or frustrating, right? Because we desire stimulation. You know, we're kind of addicts around intensity. And here, especially for the first two steps, the Buddha is really giving us instructions to help settle the whole system down. And uh, we really see, oh, I'm an addict to intensity. So I mentioned this in the guided sit, like noticing all the off-ramps, like how many impulses there are to do something else with our attention, not to go back to the breath, but to attend to this. Like even paying attention to the thought, why am I doing this? <laughs> you know, Why did I decide this was a good thing to do on Sunday morning? Because it's frustrating. He says this a little later in the chapter. I, I really encourage you to read the chapter because it's quite good. You know, there, no one has invented a more frustrating practice than mindfulness of breathing. And here I'll just, uh, I think it's this part right here. Our minds are not used to being held down. They have been taught to associate one thing with another and to form opinions about everything. Being accustomed to using our intelligence and ability to think in clever ways, we tend to become very tense and restless when we can't do that. And when we practice Anapanasati, we feel resistance, a resentment to it. It's like a wild horse when it's first harnessed, getting angry with the things that bind it. So you might feel that part of the mind that's striking out against the instructions. 
Now, the key is having heard me say this and having read this section from Ajahn Sumedho, it's like now we won't be surprised by that resistance. Sometimes the resistance kind of sneaks in as a, I'm bored. This isn't going anywhere. Or related to that, it's like, I'm no good at this. I must have attention deficit disorder. You know, my mind's, this isn't a good time for me to train my mind this way. Maybe later when I retire and I don't have so many things going on in my life. When I'm on vacation, then I'll do this practice. You know, so there's all kinds of deflections. And so we want to just see that these coherent habits, addictions of, uh, addictions to intensity, they're, they're coherent. They have some intelligence and they're going to push back. And it's really important that we see the pushback as intelligent, like it seems like to make sense, as intelligent as it appears to be, we have to see the pushback as impersonal, not personal. It's not me pushing back. It's the habits of mine and the intelligence in these habits, these impersonal habits of mine, these distracting, the habits of distraction, they're pushing back. And we don't need to take it personally. That's what these habits are designed to do, push back, because they like going this other way towards distractedness and superficiality and thinking about this and imagining that and fantasizing and planning and analyzing and problem solving. And that's what our mind does. It fills up, the thinking mind does. It's It just fills up the space with mental activity. And then the heart gets very familiar with all that mental activity doing what it's doing. And all of a sudden someone gives us some instructions and it's telling us what to do. And all, if whatever rebellious tendencies are there, they're going to revolt. So don't be surprised by that and be really patient in a loving way. You know, patience is a real expression of love. It isn't some uh, domination practice, patience, like, okay, I'm bigger than you are and we're going to stick with the breath. That's not going to work. We can use a little bit of of, um, love and patience and forgiveness and a little bit of enticement like, you know, what the Buddha says makes a lot of sense. And by the way, what I'm doing already isn't working for me. You know, I'm not that happy. I'm not that satisfied. I feel pushed around by my mental habits. Why not try something new, right? So, you kind of rally the evidence to sort of support this checking out the practice. Let me just give this some time and see in terms of cause and effect, what it's setting in motion. And do I trust what it's setting in motion? And this is that full circle back to the point I made earlier in the talk from, it's not just um, Analeo Bhikkhu, Bhikkhu Analeo, Bhikkhu Analeo, this uh, German monk, it's been said since the beginning, you know, that the, the path is a path that is healing and pleasurable. It doesn't mean it's easy, and it doesn't mean it's not difficult at times or frustrating at times. It just means as we stick with the instructions, we start to feel the benefit. And it's the discernment of the benefit that leads us onward. They have that phrase, I forget what the Pali word is, 
but that the path is onward leading. It's one of the definitions of Dhamma in terms of the path itself, that it has this nature to be onward leading, meaning that when we're walking the path, following the instructions the Buddha gives us, that and paying attention to our experience, paying attention to our experience will take us further along the path. We never get the full picture until we're there, but we always get clarity that, oh yeah, this is right. This feels right. This feels good. This has the flavor of release, the flavor of inner healing, the healing of the mind and body, the settling, more clarity. It's like uh, said, it's said in the tradition that the more we practice, the more the wholesome qualities of mind start to show up. And wholesome qualities of mind have this um, wholeness to them, healing the pain of fragmentation, you know, how the heart, the mind, and the body feels discombobulated and disconnected and alienated and alone, which, of course, just reinforces the neurotic tendencies of fear and hate and desperately in need of something pleasurable to mask the fear and the pain of alienation and on and on. So I encourage you to take a look at Ajahn Sumedho's book. Now is the knowing that chapter. It's just about 10, 15 pages, something like that. And it's just, I find a really powerful transmission for taking up the practice of mindfulness of breathing. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.